We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Only Chase knows. Only Chase knows. And my job is to make his life easier and his job is to make my life easier and our job is to make everybody's life easier. So, I mean, me saying what the expectations are really don't mean nothing because if I, I could talk about how great he's going to do and all this, we just got to go out there and play football, which I'm sure he's, he's going to do. So, Arguably the best player on the team, legitimately one of the true leaders on the team. That was John Allen responding to a question about Chase Young, specifically the expectations for Chase Young, who missed a second straight OTA day uh, here in this session, this week's session of OTA days. Uh, That was a big story today with Ron Rivera addressing media and a few players addressing the media as well. I'll get to some of those responses. We've got one guest on the show today, one of my favorites, Tim Legler, will be on with me starting in the next segment. We'll talk NBA playoffs, and then we'll talk about his favorite football team, yes, the Washington Commanders. So two segments with Legler uh, coming up uh, starting in the next segment. The show today is presented by MyBookie. Use my promo code at MyBookie.com or MyBookie.ag. My promo code is KevinDC. Uh, You will be able to secure a first deposit bonus of up to $1,000 if you use my promo code Kevin DC. Uh, Whether you're a diehard or a casual fan, simply put, there's never been a better time to start exploring the world of online sports betting with MyBookie. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. MyBookie's got all of the preseason NFL prop bets up, including all of the week one point spreads. They've got everything you want from the NBA, and the NBA is still alive in the Eastern Conference Finals with Boston winning last night uh, in Miami to avoid being eliminated. And they are eight and a half point favorites at home tomorrow night at my bookie to extend the series one more game beyond that. Uh, go to mybookie.ag or mybookie.com and use my promo code. Kevin DC. Yeah, the Celtics last night were in deep trouble. They were down nine early in the third quarter, and Jason Tatum went off. Uh, he hit two threes, um, had a steal, had a block shot, had a few more uh, buckets during an 18 to zero run that turned a 61 to 52 deficit uh, into a 70 to 61 lead. Uh, And then when it got tight in the fourth quarter, down to 88-83, they were uh, in a five-point game with the Heat. Tatum took the game over again, knocked down a huge three, uh, and that sparked a 12-0 run, uh, and they never looked back. I was surprised, quite honestly, that Boston, uh, in the first half, they were down six. In the third quarter, down nine. I think Miami thought maybe they were packing it in. I thought they were packing it in. They didn't, so give them some credit. Uh, They've been a disappointing team in this postseason. They are a more talented team than the Miami Heat are. Uh, I still think Miami wins this series, but I'll tell you what, there will be a hell of a lot of pressure on the Heat on Saturday night in Game 6 if they lose tomorrow night in Boston uh, to watch that series lead uh, at 3-love with a 9-point lead in Game 4 in the second half 
to three games to two. It's good for the NBA right now not to have to go dark for the next nine days, which is what they were looking at. Had the Heat closed out Boston last night, that would not have been good for the league. Now they get a game five tomorrow night, and you know if my bookie's right and Miami loses this game tomorrow night, you'll get a game six on Saturday night with Denver waiting in the wings for the NBA Finals, which start next uh, Thursday night. By the way, uh, the Nuggets will be a sizable favorite over the Heat um, in the NBA Finals, and I think they'll be a slight favorite over Boston, although I think they win over either one of those two teams. I mean, I would like to see the Heat in the final. Uh, You get two really good teams, uh, well-coached teams, um, but if it is Boston, there's more talent there, but I would still pick uh, Denver to win uh, the NBA championship. Uh, much more on all of that coming up with uh, Tim Legler in the next segment. So let me just kind of repeat my position on Chase Young, who missed his second OTA day. For me, it is a big deal. You know, simply put, I believe that this is important to those that he works for and those that he works with. And to me, committing to a few OTA days isn't a big ask. It's really not. You know, it would be one thing if you were coming off back-to-back, you know, all-pro seasons, 15-plus sacks a year, if the team were more accomplished in their record and getting to the playoffs and winning some games. Um, No one would really be talking about this. Uh, Now, I think accomplished people will tell you the more success you have, the harder you work to make sure that you don't give it back. Um, But uh, in his specific situation where his career is kind of hanging, not by a thread, um, but by a limb or two, uh, he's going to get more opportunities if he doesn't really ball out next year because he has this incredible talent. And gift, and everybody will think we can get the best out of this guy. Uh, that organization, that coaching staff, bunch of buffoons. They didn't know how to handle him. He'll get other opportunities, uh, but he's not going to get a lot more, and he's not going to get a shitload of guaranteed money without an unbelievable season coming up. Look, that's what matters more than anything. But again, to me, is it a big deal? Yeah, this is a big deal. For somebody whose career seems to be somewhat hanging in the balance, it's not the reaction I would advise to somebody that I was close with. And if it were me, you wouldn't be able to keep me away from these OTA days. Um, you heard what John Allen said. Ron Rivera uh, was asked about uh, you know Chase Young, obviously, today. Um, Rivera said he's communicated with Young via text messages, um, and he said, quote, he gets it, he understands, he'll come in and give everything he's got. Look what Duran did. Guys that produce for us, we want to keep them around. That's been the message. I believe uh, that he's adapted to it nicely. He's working hard. I'll be excited to see him when he has to be here, close quote. He did also say it's nice to see you know, when you have, quote, always liking to have your guys here, but acknowledged that it's voluntary, Um, closed quote. Um, Yeah, you can't, you know, with this agreement with the NFLPA, which makes these OTA days voluntary, you can't publicly criticize and you can't put pressure on these guys to make it. Um, you can talk about how you'd like them to be there, how it's important to you, but you can't, you know, you you cannot uh, demand it. And to demand it publicly would probably be uh, not received well by the NFLPA either. There are plenty of players missing OTA days around the league. Uh, nobody that's had the track record of missing these OTA days like Chase Young, or maybe there are players, um, but not with, you know, The situation he's in, which is uh, it's been a while now since we saw him perform at a high level. He's got a lot to prove. He's got to earn it. I've talked about this with the fifth-year option. You know, he is culpable, uh, as, you know, maybe others are too, uh, including the coaching staff. But he is at least partially culpable for his situation. Uh, And... Uh, you know, hopefully there's some self-awareness and hopefully he's able to 
uh, respond accordingly with an unbelievable season. Um, but I don't think it's a good first step. Uh, I don't think it's very smart. And as Doc Walker has said in the past, you know, don't when you are a supposed leader, don't give them any reason to question that leadership. And he's done that now for a couple of years. Uh, injury aside, injury aside, uh, because that was certainly not of his, uh, you know, within his control. And it was a devastating injury, uh, no doubt. Uh, but I would suggest to all of you that think this isn't a big deal, my guess internally out there is that their expectations aren't very high for Chase Young. That they have pretty much now not thrown in the towel, but anything he gives them positive will be just icing on the cake. Uh, they didn't pick up his fifth-year option because they don't trust his commitment to the, the craft and to the team. Uh, and he has given them another reason to distrust it, even if they aren't adamant about that in public. Uh, anyway, uh, that's enough on that. There was a bigger story today with respect to the football team, and it was an injury. Armani Rogers, number 88, the tight end, ruptured his Achilles during the OTA session on Tuesday. Uh, he's scheduled to have surgery next week in North Carolina. That's a big blow to a tight end room that they've been super positive about. Um, but uh, but I think we've had some questions. Um, but I think one of the things they were relying on was Armani Rogers to be a big part of the production at that position, even though he plays more like a tight end. Uh, I'm sorry, plays more like a wide receiver than a tight end. Now they've got Logan Thomas. A lot will be expected of him. John Bates, Cole Turner, and the big boy, Curtis Hodges. Um, but that's a blow to them. I know that they were expecting big things from Armani Rogers uh, in 2023. And look, when you are going into the last year of your contract, like Chase Young is, all right, Montez Sweat is as well, um, and you see somebody blow out an Achilles and a non-contact injury, if you want to make the argument, well, that's why he's not there. That's why he's not practicing. He doesn't have a guaranteed contract beyond next year. He'll give it to him on the field, but he's not going to give it to him in something voluntary. Um, I think for a lot of players, look at Terry McLaurin last year. He was going through that contract extension. He showed up, but he didn't take the work. Uh, he didn't go out on the field. Um, Cam Curl, um, the, 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 today, in fact, uh, participated in individual drills, but not during team drills. He's up for an extension. You know what his answer was? He said, I come to work because I like being with the guys. I just like being around my team. That's why I'm here. I mean, there are ways to be there and not risk injury. Uh, but Chase Young has chosen not to be there at all. Montez Sweat and Charles Leno, the same. Uh, but that's a shame about Armani Rogers, uh, for sure. Uh, that's that's a tough uh, injury for for a guy that I think they had some big time expectations for this year. By the way, um, Ron Rivera addressed the kickoff returner, punt returner uh, situation. Kickoff returns, by the way, even less significant starting this year with this fair catch rule. Uh, you know, inside the twenty five yard line, automatically going out to the twenty five. But he once again singled out Kaz Allen, Casimir Allen from UCLA. I had him on the radio show last week. They, I'm telling you, they signed him to be the punt returner and the kickoff returner. I, I would be shocked if he doesn't get all of that work. Um, and at, after a certain point in preseason, you probably won't even see him. But that is the plan for them right now, unless he just really disappoints, which is always possible. Um, Sam Howell uh, looks sharp today. Out at OTAs, you get the you know you get the play by play from everybody on the beat. Um, we've had fun with that in recent years, but look, there's an audience for it. Uh, he did throw an interception uh, today. Uh, looked sharp, but threw a pick um, into the end zone. Percy Butler uh, had an interception of Sam Howell in the red zone. Um, by the way, Emmanuel Forbes had an interception and one-on-one -on -one work with the big receiver on the team, Marcus Kemp, 
the six foot three receiver that had played for Eric Bieniemy uh, in Kansas City. Speaking of Eric Bieniemy, Ron Rivera, I would say that the majority of his presser today was discussing Eric Bieniemy, and I'm just going to net it out for you. Ron Rivera is giving Eric Bieniemy essentially the keys to the car. I mean, he talked about how schedules have been changed. They're doing it Eric's way. That means Jack's got to be on board with Eric's way, Jack Del Rio. That means Nate Katzer, the special teams coach, needs to be on board with the way Eric Bieniemy wants to do things. The schedule, the, how they're practicing, when the meetings are, all decided by Eric Bieniemy. Eric Bieniemy is literally not just the assistant head coach, uh, which he has the title of, um, but he is right now, uh, I think, the chief decision maker and really the major decision maker on offense. And unless he comes up with some crazy idea, I think Ron's going to go along with everything that he suggests. Is he going to make the fourth and one field goal punt or go for it decision? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, so, um, one more piece of news on the football team from today. It's kind of um, interesting. Um, this just broke not that long ago. So, Josh Gerben is some trademark attorney, and he broke this story earlier that the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office has denied the trademark application for the NFL's Washington Commanders. They cite two reasons, an existing trademark for Commanders Classic and a p- and pending applications filed by a D.C. area man for the, na- the, uh, uh, the, the team name Commanders, which he's got other names involved in it. The Commanders Classic, by the way, is a yearly college football game between Air Force and Army. That's what they call it. And the names that a local man uh, looked for uh, and registered, uh, Washington Space Commanders and the Washington Wolf Commanders. Now, the team did put out a statement uh, saying that the trademarks, uh, the trademark office's recent non-final office action is an ordinary course step in the standard trademark registration process. We will respond. We will respond. Excuse me to the trademark office's office action, and are confident that our registration will be issued. Closed quote. God, can you imagine if they didn't get the trademark on Washington Commanders? That would be hysterical. I want it to be true because I hate this name. And maybe they would say, F it. Let's not even look at anything else. Washington is it. And we'll trademark FC Washington. Let's all rush to trademark FC Washington and Washington FC. Maybe it is already marked. Um, I know a lot of people were trying to you know, stake out some of that ground uh, with trademarks in anticipation of what the new name might be in hopes, I'm sure, of getting paid off. But it doesn't sound like this is really massively in jeopardy. Um, But uh, they don't have it yet, that's for sure. It takes a while on those things. I I know that from past experience. It takes a while. certainly takes a while to get a patent. I was actually on a patent, um, my name, part of a patent, uh, many years ago. And... Uh, we didn't get that one, but we did get one of the company I was with, with my wife's name on the patent. It was, uh, basically, I, it's too in depth to get into, but it had to do with, uh, numbers being assigned to items in a catalog. Um, anyway, no money made off of that and it may have already expired. I don't even know. Uh, all right. Uh, Tim Legler coming up uh, in the next segment. Um, we will talk uh, NBA playoffs first, and then we will get to a lot about the football team. His thoughts on Chase Young, I'll ask him. Uh, I know he's following the story. Uh, and we'll ask him about Sam Howell, the draft, and a lot more. Uh, all of that uh, gets started right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform 
with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you've got a moment, you don't mind rating us and reviewing us really, really helps. Following us helps uh, as well. Rating and reviewing is easy on Apple and Spotify. Uh, it's not available on all podcast platforms, but Apple, it's pretty uh, easy to, to give us five stars if you so see it that way and write a quick one to two sentence review. Spotify allows you to rate it uh, as well. And both uh, podcast platforms allow you to follow the show, which would be a big help uh, as well. The follow button on the Apple podcast app is in the upper right-hand corner uh, on Spotify. It's about midway down the left-hand side. All right, jumping on with us right now is one of my favorite people, and I say that with a total sincerity. Uh, the conversations with Tim Legler over the years about basketball and about our football team have been among my favorites, and he's with us right now. You can follow uh, Legs on Twitter, at Legs ESPN. By the way, I've noticed recently, like there was a period of time you were not on social media. You were on it, but you didn't participate at all. But this postseason, you've really increased your your tw- yeah. your tweeting, right? Like, well, 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 did, yeah. did, did they tell you at work you've got to tweet more? No. No, they've never told me that. Uh, it's it's just, I don't know, it was something kind of hit me. I just realized that, you know, the feedback that I was that I got, and it's always like this, this time of year, I get tremendous feedback on the stuff that I'm doing, uh, on the, particularly the, the post-game breakdowns. Um, so I was getting so much feedback from some of those early ones in the first round, early second round. I just was like, you know what? I think maybe it'd be a good idea for me to share more of kind of just what I'm thinking while I'm watching after the game. Maybe some stuff that concisely I can put into a tweet that for people that missed what I did, maybe uh, on TV breaking it down, I can concisely put it out there and and just some some thoughts on what I'm watching or what I'm about to see. And I, I just kind of was just a proactive decision on my part to get more content out there because a lot of people are telling me they want more of that so i'm, I'm, I'm trying to do that uh i love it uh but you know i do agree with those that have reached out to you to tell you i i think you know tim is the best analyst uh on espn in terms of breaking down a game um and uh, I rarely miss, unless it's really late when the game ends, rarely miss uh, your breakdowns after the games. I want to start, and I know that you'd prefer to sit here and talk for the next 45 minutes. He always gives me a hard time. Man, it's 45 minutes I was with you. Um, it's not always my <laughs> fault, by the way. Not always my fault. Um, no, no doubt. No, uh, doubt. But, but, um, no I'm kidding. Uh, but I want to start with hoops, and we'll get to the football team, your favorite football team here. Um, in, in a few minutes. Uh, I have been pushing over the last month and a half since these playoff games have started that this is, to me, one of the best uh, postseasons I can ever remember. That the level, I told Tommy Lavero, my, my po- podcast partner twice a week yesterday, I told him, I think this may be, especially with certain teams like the Nuggets, um, the highest level of basketball that I, that I can remember seeing, you know, obviously it's, you know, light years ahead of college basketball, even though I love college basketball. What's your opinion of what we've been watching here over the last month and a half? Yeah, you know, look, I, I agree. I mean, you're, you're seeing, uh, particularly when you talk about Denver, a team that is just, everything they do is just so clean. You know, and, and I was I was talking about this this morning. You, know, you think about shooting splits and percentages like in basketball. It's, it's a big deal, and it gives you kind of a, a quick snapshot of how a team is operating offensively and how efficient they are. 
And if you pick any individual player in, in the course of a, a season, a month even in a season, or a series, like these smaller chunks of time even, and you shoot 50 from the field, 40 from the three, and 80 from the line, you've had a hell of a stretch, whether that's an entire year, whether that's a week, a month, or a series. Well, the Denver Nuggets just put up those splits for, for that series against the Lakers. The reason that that's just kind of mind-blowing because your whole team to be operating at that level uh, that efficiently against a team, by the way, and I picked the Nuggets to win that series, but I, I, I did think the Lakers could, could win a game or two. Most people thought, that, oh, well, this is the team. Remember they were describing Anthony Davis as yeah. Jokic's kryptonite is exactly how some people described him. And just saying their length and and their speed and their athletic ability, and this was going to be a team that could that could get into them. And then they go and they sweep them, and they shoot 50, 40, 80 in doing it. That's how high level this is right now and what the Nuggets are doing. And, you know, it, it's, it's obviously Jokic. We could do a whole hour just talking about him and, and how incredible it is what he's doing. But it's, it's, it's everybody. I mean, it's, it's Murray has, has been sensational. Michael Porter Jr. has been much more consistent for them. And then Aaron Gordon, I don't know where they'd be without Aaron Gordon. I don't think they'd be in the finals without Aaron Gordon. And then even the guys they added, like KCP and Bruce Brown, they're basically playing six guys, significant minutes, and all six of those guys average double figures against the Lakers. And all, there's not a single guy right now as you head into the finals that you're like, oh, well, he's, you know, he's kind of struggling or he's looking to find his shot. Every other team, that's the issues you know, when you get down to the Final Four. We had all these teams. They had different guys. Like, man, this guy's really struggling. Boston's got it right now with Jalen Brown. Like, he just does not look like the same player whatsoever. Um, and, and, and everybody's got it. But the Nuggets don't have it. All their guys are in rhythm. And so that's because of the, the reads that Jokic makes, the, just the, the timing of what they do, the absolute clear definition of, of their roles and what is expected of them, the confidence that they have in themselves and in Mike Malone. It's been, been unbelievably impressive watching them play. And I don't care who wins the Eastern Conference. I, Denver, to me, is the team. They're going to win a championship this year. I mean, I, we could do a, a, a lot on Jokic, and I do want to get into Jokic a little bit more. But I, you, um, these numbers are outrageous. It's not because, in my opinion, like the defenses that they've been playing have been horrific. I mean, going into this series, the Lakers were thought to be the best defensive team in, the, in this postseason with the way that they had played heading into this series. And the truth is, all four of these games were competitive. And it's kind of surprising that the Lakers didn't pull off one of them. But at the same time, Denver was clearly the better team. But why are they so efficient? Why are the splits so outrageously high? Um, you know, is it because they get out in transition and they get a lot of stuff easily? Um, is it because they're running great half-court offense? Is it because they just have great shot makers? Why have they been so incredibly efficient on offense? Well, there's two reasons that to me that stand out more than anything. The first is, you alluded to it, their initial pace up the floor, make or miss, is unmatched in the league. Everything that they do... Uh, is predicated on advancement of the ball as fast as they can up the floor, make or miss. And a good news for them is it doesn't have to be outlet the ball to Jamal Murray, you know, outlet the ball to right. to you know a KCP and and go. No, if if Porter takes it off the rim, if Gordon takes it off the rim, if Jokic takes it off the rim, they just go because all three of those guys are capable enough ball handlers to get that ball up the floor. And it's such an advantage because, you know, if you're Jokic in particular, right, so you're boxing out whoever you're boxing out. Their main rim protector is on your back. You get the ball and you spin out of there and your first, you know, two to three dribbles, you're across half court. Usually that means you've left a big guy, at least one, in your wake. He's now in your rearview mirror. And so now what you get coming up the floor, that guy's kind of eliminated from it because a lot of big guys in this league would rebound it, outlet it, and by the time they started to move up the floor, that big guy that they blocked out is probably now ahead of them up the floor and has a chance to get up there, get into the paint, protect, uh, potentially protect. So with any of the big guys on Denver, Jeff Green also, any of those guys grab the ball, they just wheel out of there and they push it. So their surge is tremendous. And it doesn't always lead 
directly to offense. And I don't even know that they keep what they would call fast break points accurately in the NBA. Right. Because I watch every night, and, and they don't breaks. include secondary yeah, offense exactly. in that. And it's such a it's such a huge part of basketball to force defenders to sprint back and react to the ball being advanced. So you end up usually overreacting yep. toward the lane. Out of position. And now there will be something great trailing, right? There's something good coming in that secondary action. So that's the first. And the second reason, Kevin, is because they have a player that is impossible to disrupt. Can't disrupt Jokic. It, there, is no, there is no personnel. There's no scheme. And there's no just you know defensive energy. Those are the three things that go into being a great defender or team defense is personnel, scheme, and energy. None of those things affect him. You put a smaller guy on him, it's embarrassing to watch some of those guys try to guard him in the post. And then little short floaters will shoot over them. Put a bigger guy on him, good luck being out on the perimeter most of the game while he's running a million dribble handoffs and then picking you apart with cuts while the shot blocker is now out guarding him 25 feet in the basket. So there's nothing you could do to disrupt him. And he's the guy that's picking you apart with his passing and making sure the ball is going everywhere it needs to decisively that creates incredible pace and rhythm on your half-court offense, and it leads to better shots. Yeah, I mean, the I, I think it's interesting because the two teams that I think we're going to see in the finals, even though Miami lost last night, I can't remember two teams that use their five-man to bring the ball up the court um, either you know into a, a half court situation or even to lead a fast break like Miami and Denver do. Jokic and Bam are they're, they're not you know it's not cool it's not something that just happens because nobody else is available to bring the ball up. It's intentional that both of those players bring the ball up as a five-man and sometimes lead the fast break. Like, how many teams in history can you think of? Like, I I can't remember teams that have their five-man in that situation as much as those those two teams do. No, you're you're 100% right. Um, You know, I think there were times that, like, you could play certain guys at the five that normally play a different position, and you'll get some of that. But no, you're 100 percent right. Like as 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 your starting center and a and a you know a legit big man to be able to do that. No, you're right. It's unique unto them, and even even at a higher level with with Jokic than it is Bam because Bam can catch it, get it off, and go. He's a good passer. But if if you if you sort of press up on him as he's coming up toward half court, right. he's probably going to pick it up, right? And he's going to have to advance it. Whereas Jokic. It's it, he can he can find a way to like where guy he's got this wide, you know, base where like guys have a hard time like getting into him as he's dribbling the ball and his head is up the whole time and he'll advance it at exactly the right time to to give someone an opportunity to go play. So he's he's so just incredibly unique, fun to watch, and the numbers like you said I said the other night in a tweet he is now making absurd stat lines, ordinary. Yeah. And you're talking about stat lines where these aren't your, you know, your old-fashioned triple-double with the 15, 12, and 11 like guys used to get. These are your 37, 17, and 14, right? You're talking about literally video game-type numbers, and he's doing it so easily. It's not like when you're watching the game, you're going, my God, this guy's stuffing the stat sheet. And it just organically happens. Because he's got the ball so much. And, you know, the fact that he could go an entire quarter, not make a shot, and be by far the best player on the floor because he's getting every single rebound, and he's also completely controlling what they do offensively, that's that rare, you know, special, special player. And LeBron was alluding to it the other night after they got beat. He was asked about him, and he just said he's special there's no other word for it. He's just different. And, his, you know, you combine all of the stuff we're talking about, which is his ability to read things far before anybody else on the court is seeing what's about to happen. He's already processing that. And that's that final piece that now makes him, like I said, impossible to disrupt. He's just not – you don't expect any game he plays where he's not going to have some great stat line, even if it's not a scoring night. 
he's going to have an absurd-looking box score. Unbelievable. I mean, you talk about video game numbers. He's passing the all-time video game number guy in Wilt with now, I think it's 12 or 13 postseason triple-doubles passing Wilt's eight at the five-man spot. Um, and, you know, look, you've you've just talked a lot about Jokic and answered a lot of the questions that I was going to have about Jokic. But I think the other part, too, and I think this is – part of why not everybody loves the NBA. And I'm talking about basketball fans because they think the game's so much different. One of the things I've tried to emphasize is this is one of the most unselfish teams I've ever watched, led by their best player, who is the most yeah. unselfish player, which is how he can be scoreless you know, over a, a period of time and still be the best player on the floor. But I also view every other player on that team as incredibly uh, selfless. Like the other night when Murray had it going with the 30 and a half, it was like everybody was doing everything they could to look for him, to set him up. Everybody screens, everybody understands spacing, everybody's willing to give it up. And like you do you don't see that obviously with the Sixers. I mean, which to me is a hard team to watch of the teams that were in the postseason. But I think it's one of the most unselfish teams I've ever watched. Yeah, they're a reflection of of I think the connection to their head coach, but it's also most importantly, and there's a great parallel to the San Antonio Spurs teams that, you know, had a two-decade run in this league were built around Tim Duncan. There's a similarity there because some of it, look, they, they, you know, Spurs tank, they get Duncan, and you do your due diligence on a guy, and, you know, you think that you know pretty much what you need to know about his character and background, but you don't really know that until they're in the building every day. And, and so there is a luck component to it that it turns out Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili, Duncan – Right, you go on this run, and, and some of these guys are took. You're talking about last pick in the first round, second round pick with the other two guys, and you have this selflessness about them to win that makes it so easy if you're the right coach and you have the mind for it, so easy to incorporate what it is you want to do because you're not going to get any pushback. You're not going to get anybody to pouch. You're not going to get anything that you need to assimilate for someone. You don't need to do that with any of those guys in San Antonio. Kind of similar with this group. That, that, that's a parallel there in terms of character, humility, selflessness, just want to be about winning. You know, the fact that Jokic has won two MVPs, easily could have won a third one this year, and he, he pretty often refers to Jamal Murray as their best player. You know, <laughs> that's, that's pretty unique, man, to, to have that. But whether he believes that or not doesn't matter. He... He does it and he says it and he comes off sincere and it, it just makes people want to rally around him and play with him. And so it's it's this really fun thing to watch. The stuff that he says after the games, it's just a breath of fresh air to see a guy conduct himself in this way. And by the way, it's interesting to me. He got two MVPs before he had a deep playoff run. And so he doesn't get he doesn't get it this year, and Embiid got it. I didn't, I didn't have a problem with Embiid getting it. Right. But it's interesting. Giannis went through this. He won two MVPs, didn't get to the finals. Then he doesn't get the MVP and wins a championship that year. And and now he'll get more votes going forward. I felt like with Jokic, it wasn't like this voter fatigue that people talk about. More than anything, it was you know he hasn't he hasn't proven yet that he can actually get a team to the biggest stage. So until that happens and he's still young enough that he'll have more opportunities, I'm going to, I'm going to probably put some credence in that, that it hasn't happened. And now that's going to weigh my vote just enough in a different direction. So now though, if he wins a championship this year and obviously you know, he's going to continue to play this way, if that, then I guarantee you next year, a lot of the people that maybe voted for a beat or they're going to go right back to Jokic again, because now he's like proven that that's, what he's capable of. I think that you do kind of reach this point as a voter. We go, okay, he's got a couple. Hasn't he been to the finals yet? Well, now if it's close with another guy, I might lean there instead until he proves something different. And I think, I think that could happen with him. Like he could end up winning four MVPs like LeBron did. It's not going to shock me because now I think the gates, floodgates will be open again to vote in his direction if he wins a championship. I mean, I am so happy, and I talked about this before the, the playoffs started. I really, 
I mean, I wanted the Clippers with my favorite player, Kawhi Leonard, to make a run, and he got legitimately hurt again. I mean, I, I, we could spend you know too much time on him. He was phenomenal in game one and game two before he got hurt. Um, and I don't know that they would have made the deep run anyway because they would have had to have beaten Phoenix in that series, and then they would have gotten Denver in the next round, um, which would have been really difficult. But what I really wanted other than that is I wanted Jokic to get this – exposure of being in the NBA Finals because we know the casual fan doesn't pay attention to this sport right. in the regular season and even in a lot of the playoff games, even though the ratings have been through the roof this year. And, you know, Denver, Miami is not going to excite ABC and your network um, a whole hell of a lot, but I'm going to be thrilled that Nikola Jokic is going to get this platform because he really is one of the best to ever do it. I think he's the best passing big man I've ever watched. I mean, Walton was always that for me in terms of the center position, but this guy is even better. He might be not only is he the best passing big man, if you if you really want to really want to look at other positions because those are the guys that we we categorically think of as handling the ball and making guys better with their passing and their vision. I mean, you could even go other positions if you want to yeah. and say, you know, where does he rank in, in, in Stockton Malone? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Jason Kidd and Magic and these guys. And is he is he quite on that level? Probably not because those guys had the ability to do it like quickly off a live dribble. Like, you know, with, with a, a with an elite-level defender riding their hip and they're still able to thread the needle and get the ball to guys. So it's a little bit different because their handle's better and they're quicker and there's going to be more things open to them. But, but what about small forwards? You know, you got LeBron and Bird are probably the two best ever to do it. Yep. I mean, Jokic, kind of in that category. I mean, you know, so he, he, there are no feelings on the comparisons or the descriptions of what this guy is doing. And you're right. I think a lot of people that certainly you're probably aware that this guy is, you know, if you're a casual fan, you know, this who he is and the fact that he's been an MVP. But maybe you're going to sit down and actually watch during this postseason run and watch the NBA final. And you're going to come away just in awe of how easy he makes this look. Uh, particularly when you, it's obviously not an elite level athlete. Although I was good to get this conversation, Kevin, with people when you talk about athleticism and. It's, it's, you know, is that just based on speed, quickness, and, and verticality? It's, do we not include, like, hand-eye coordination? Uh, I've gotten into this conversation. Like yes, you like do. touch. Doesn't that count for yeah, something? And, like Anticipation, so, vision, all of those things have always been included athletic. in the definition of a great athlete for me. By the way, I look at someone like you who did it at the highest of levels, right? You had incredible hand-eye coordination, and I bet you, and I don't know you this well, but I bet that you're good at almost anything you try to do that's hand-eye um, related. But I understand when people say, no, for me, athleticism is your physical athletic ability, your your size, your strength, your jumping ability, your quickness, your speed, etc. But in basketball, anticipation, vision, hand-eye, all of that is as important. Yeah, and, and you know, the thing is for the casual fan, you know, they, I guess you're, you're, you want those moments when you're watching the game, when your eyes pop out of your head and you like, kind of jump up off the like, Oh, my God, did you see that? Like a John Morant play, you know, a LeBron. You, you know, you watch these guys, Anthony Edwards, like will do things, and you're kind of like, oh, my. But then with Jokic, I'm like, you have to be a little bit more nuanced and understand the game to understand the path that he just threw and the anticipation that he had to have to throw that ball to a spot where no one is yet because he's expecting something to happen about a half a second from now. And if it doesn't happen exactly the way that it should, maybe that's going to be a turnover. But he is so trusting and anticipating. If you make the right read, and more importantly, I always, laugh, I always say this about great passers, like they'll throw a ball up a guy's face sometimes because the defender – didn't react the way he was supposed to because he's not good enough. He doesn't understand. Right. So, like, like, you know, Jokic is that guy that is anticipating what's about to happen. And and he, if you if he turns the ball over, the ball gets deflected. Sometimes it's because the defender that he's counting on to react the way he's supposed to, if he if he understood how to play defense, would have reacted in a way that that ball would have gone through 
cleanly to somebody for a layup or a jump shot. Instead, it could bounce off somebody because they didn't react the way he's supposed to. Like, that's the level that he's thinking uh, when he's out there. He, he's kind of like a Gretzky to me in a lot of ways. You watch Gretzky play, and hockey's such a fast sport, and he was fast. But as he was moving and controlling the puck, what he was seeing was just different than everybody else out there. And I think that's exactly what Jokic is doing right now. So if you're a casual fan and you watch the final, hopefully you can appreciate some of the things he's doing that look basic and that are incredibly difficult to do with nine other players in a tight spot that are highly athletic. And yet he is doing kind of what he wants to do. And he is clearly the guy controlling the action. And hopefully there are more and more people that you know will tune in and, and watch this guy because right now he's at the absolute peak of his game. And I think you're right. I mean, this is one of the this is one of the more skilled players that we've ever seen in this league. Uh, greatest passer of all time for me, it's Magic, and nobody's close. Yeah. Who's number one for yeah. you? Yeah, I put Magic Johnson there too. I mean, you know, for me, my, my two favorite players are Magic and Bird. Not in that order, Bird then Magic, and it's weird because they were rivals and they were trying to beat each other. You know, every year when I was in high school and college and really falling in love with the game, normally if you got a favorite player, you don't make their next favorite player the guy <laughs> on the other team, right? But that was me, and it was because of style of play for the two teams. You know, Magic, Magic's ability to just make you want to run the floor because he was you were going to get rewarded and get rewarded in such an entertaining and creative way. So yeah, Magic will be at the top of the list for me. You know, I, and I played a short time in Utah. I played with John Stockton. He would be right up there. Chris Mullen is a guy, actually, he's one of the most underrated passers of all time. But people were so mesmerized by his shooting and his scoring and his right. moving without the ball, you didn't realize until you played with him, and I got an opportunity to do it, I didn't realize how good a passer Chris Mullen was. So he's another guy that's not going to be considered in there with, with the Jason Kidd's of the world, the LeBron James's of the world, but you know he probably deserves to be because he was that talented. Yeah, Nash would be way up there too. He was another one that oh, just definitely. saw it, you know, always saw it before anybody else did. Um, and, and he was uh, ambidextrous. He was the most ambidextrous player oh I've ever God. seen with his with his handle and finishing and passing. I mean, the fact that you know he could throw a pass with either hand, equidistant with the same velocity with the same level of precision. I mean, that's not an exaggeration. There's nobody really that's ever been exactly equal with either arm with their handle and their passing, right? I think Steve Nash was, and that gives you a tremendous advantage because you're never going to be boxed in because you can go either direction and you can deliver it when you need to with the same amount of velocity on it. Um, with either hand, and so that's one of the reasons why he was so great. You know, that, as you're saying that, I'm also thinking about, so it, he's definitely at the top or near the top of my list of the, of the greatest ball handlers. I didn't see Maravich, so I can't, you know, everybody of a certain age will tell me Maravich. I think Steph Curry in one body is the greatest shooter and ball handler of all times. I think Kyrie Irving actually talent-wise is one of the greatest ball handlers that um, I've ever watched, but do you know one of my favorite all-time ball handlers, and it was more in college than it was as a pro, but Kenny Anderson as a as a point guard at Georgia Tech had one of the most incredible handles of all time. I mean, it was just the true, you know, sort of cliched extension of his left hand, and by, by the way, with both hands, he was great. Yeah, definitely he's in there. I another guy I'd put in there and I played against was Jason Williams from Sacramento. Right. Um, you know, you wanna you wanna entertain yourself, just go sit down and, and people listening, if you haven't done it, go pop in a YouTube eight minute video of Jason Williams highlights Sacramento. And you're not gonna believe <laughs> right. that you might have missed all that. Uh he was one of the only players I played against that received a standing ovation checking out of the game when I was playing at home and he was on the road. So he was in Washington playing against us with the Wizards and got a standing ovation when he checked out at the end of the game by our fans. That's, that's how good he was in the show that he put on that night, just electrifying. Yeah, so, and I've always said, Curry, you said, you said shooting and uh, ball handling. I throw passing in there. 
So if you, if you, if you graded everybody out one through a hundred, gave them a score in those three categories, which are the skill components of the game, Curry's going to score out higher than anybody because he's actually a hell of a passer. He just, and you saw a little bit of it more in the uh, Sacramento series when he was forced to play, uh, or in the Lakers series when he was forced to play point guard more naturally because of the way they were defending him. And you look at some of the stuff he was doing, you wonder, man, if this guy ever just played pure point from the beginning, he would have averaged 20, but he probably also would have averaged 10 assists every year. I have a criticism of Steph Curry. And I and it, it really became, um, it was a, the Lakers series in particular, and they, they lost the series. Steph Curry's one of my all-time favorite players, and I don't think, like I said, you know, and you want to throw passing in there, the greatest combination of ball handling, passing, and shooting in one body of all time. By the way, Isaiah Thomas would be um, in that conversation, and I think if the three-point uh, shot was more emphasized, I think Isaiah could have shot it at a really high level, too. But you know what I've noticed about Steph Curry over the years? It's, it's a small nitpick. We know he's not a great defender, understood. But I think a lot of times he's not a great defender because I think he loses concentration defensively. Watch so many times he'll make make a shot, miss a shot. Watch him running back down court. A lot of times he's unaware of what's coming behind him. And it's amazing to say that about a player with such outrageous high, you know, IQ as a basketball player. But I don't think sometimes he is concentrating uh, you know, uh, on his way back down to the other end of the floor. Have you ever observed I don't think that's that? A, yeah, I don't think that's, a, that's your way off base. I think that sometimes, yeah, you're right, like he – he kind of does this thing where he shuffles his feet a little bit on the first five or six strides while he's looking down at the court. Yes. And, you know, who knows what, he, who knows what he's processing. He might be thinking about how mad he is at himself for missing a clean look, which, you know, he beats himself up a little bit. And now, yeah, maybe he's a little bit late to the party getting back and it throws them out of balance defensively a little bit. But yeah, I think that that's fair. You could, you could handpick some possessions in games each night where that would probably be true. I think for the most part, I think he tries. I think he competes. I think he's conscientious about it. Um, I, I think that there's an element of it that, you know, guys like that, they're not going to mix it up to that extent, right? And you've got to be very physical as much as you can, and the rules allow you to be like an elite-level defender. Everybody thinks you know, if you're a great offensive player, there's no reason why you can't be a great defensive player. That's not necessarily always true um, because that, that quick twitch – defensively is a little different in reacting to guys than it is when you have the ball and you could dictate things on your terms right. and now a great handle can get people off balance and you can get space but because it, it's not just a foot race anymore it's now some deception in there defense is not about deception it's about reaction and some guys just aren't going to be able to react as quick on that end all right uh last one and then uh, we'll talk just a little bit about the football team and then i'll let you go um Jimmy Butler's obviously been a big part of the story of this postseason, too. Um, just tell me what you've thought of Miami's run, and then for me, even though they're still alive, Boston underachieving. Yeah, I think – so Boston – I'll start with them first. Boston, to me, has been very um, hard to understand – like why they have had some of the struggles they have. And you hear them talking about, oh, we've lost defensive identity. We're not the same team defensively. Well, I don't Why? Why is that? Because you've got the same personnel and you're healthy. If you, if you start talking about good defenders and just label guys on your team, are you a good defender or not? They probably have more individually good defenders than any team in the NBA. So why would that be that you're telling us you've lost an edge on that end of the floor? It doesn't make a lot of sense and it's been kind of a mystery to me they were the best team in the league for two and a half months to start the year maybe a little longer than that but i thought hands down the best team it's been a rocky roller coaster ride ever since and they've had some real flat head scratching performances in the postseason and not just defensively offensively too and jalen brown still i i don't know if he's hurt or what's going on i don't recognize jalen brown from the guy that i watched all year tatum has been sort of up and down, and then even on bad nights, they'll have these great finishes to games. It, it's, it's been a very bizarre ride. I think that there's so much more there than we're going to see because I think they're going to lose this series. Um, but you saw them last in game four. That was the team that I recognized all year. 
they, 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 they beat you with multiple dribble drives on the same possession. They, they would play kick, drive, and kick all night. They'd pass one up to get a better one. Everybody shot the ball confidently. They bombed you out from the three-point line. And then they, they really got into you defensively, particularly in the second half. That's the team I watched in the first three months of the year that I thought was going to win a championship. So I, I don't know. It's in there, but they have had a very difficult time tapping into it on a consistent basis. Maybe that's the coach. Maybe that's their connection to him, their belief in him, You know, any buttons he's pushing in the moment. I, I don't know. But they're, they've been lacking something for most of the last four months. And it's, it's, it's reared itself enough that they're going to be taken out by a team that's playing the cleanest basketball in the Eastern Conference. Miami's been better. They've been better when they needed to. They've been better on both ends. Not just Jimmy Butler offensively. They've had other guys playing at an incredibly high level, a higher level than you thought they could, like Gabe Vincent, yep. you know, Caleb Martin. Like The way those two guys are playing in particular, Kyle Lowry looked like he was headed to the scrap heap halfway through the season. Like, is this guy going to retire like during the year? And now all of a sudden he's an impact player every night getting big minutes. So it's it's not just Butler. It's it's everybody on that team. And I think if I had to look, Kevin, if I had to put you know a list of reasons, the first three would probably be Eric Spolstra. Yeah. Because I just think he's that good at at the details that go into precision on offense and connection on defense. It's an incredible amount of detail that goes into it and an eye to stop stuff in a film session, in a walkthrough, stop it now and address it because I see it. And don't let anything go unaddressed because the guys that let stuff go unaddressed, get, you, know, you have sloppy teams. He, his teams are not sloppy. They are, they are tied together because he sees everything that needs to be seen, whether it's on an off day or in the moment live. That's the biggest reason why the Miami Heat are, are you know, one game away from the final. All right, let's talk a little bit about your favorite football team, and we will do that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. Let's talk some football team. I'm just going to start with what is the headline of the last two days, and that is Chase Young um, not showing up for the first two OTA days of this first batch of OTA practices. Do you have a reaction to it? Yeah, it's disappointing. It's really disappointing to hear. This is a guy that was a monster his rookie year, looked like a a, a franchise-changing type of defensive presence with his impact and playmaking and disruption. Um, it was nonstop relentlessness every time you watched him. And then he got hurt, you know, in that second year. And it, it you know, to that point, he looked like a different player. I, I was, I've said on, with you multiple times, you know, I just felt like he became a one-trick pony, edge rusher, get up the field every snap trying to turn the corner on the end uh, on the tackle and get to the quarterback, you know, be irresponsible with his gaps and just letting quarterbacks run in that spot where he was supposed to be. And it just felt like it was, everything wanted to be a home run. So I was already kind of like, wow, okay, this is interesting. But I was about made, made up my mind that the guy was not as good as I thought. I just thought he's going to have to adjust now to some things going forward. And then he got hurt. And ever since he got hurt, obviously he hasn't been on the field and we've been waiting for him and waiting for him. And you feel like he's, Finished the year healthy, and now you're looking forward to a huge year this year. I know they didn't pick up the option, and I actually didn't have a problem with it. I thought it was fiscally responsible to do that for them based on what they have seen. And so you think, okay, he's got a lot to prove. And to not be there for OTAs when when you've had this kind of run here the last couple of years, that's very disappointing. What did you think of their draft? Happy with the draft. I thought they addressed the needs that I – personally was thinking that they had uh, there's you know a couple guys that I was hoping were going to be there that they didn't end up getting but but they still addressed the same position like with that next pick so I think I think overall I was pretty excited about it that night you know and 
I think that they address glaring holes to me, offensive line, secondary at the top of the list. And now their season is in large part going to hinge on their offensive coordinator and the quarterback. I had massive problems with some of the stuff that were going on from a coordinator standpoint last year offensively. Yes, you did. And we we all know that we all know that, you know, the quarterback position has been very unstable. And it looks like going into the year they're gonna they're gonna you know, Sam Howell's pegged in as the starter. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say this guy might not be the, the one. I don't know that after one game against Dallas uh at the end of the year when his numbers weren't overwhelming and Zach Dak Prescott looked like he was throwing the game. Aside, I don't know what that told me in one game, one night, a meaningless game for us. I don't know what that what that told me, but I'm gonna I'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt because he does have a big arm and it looks like he's got some pretty good legs. So now it's does he have the mind and the poise and does he have the play calling and and the, you know the construction of the offense to get the ball to playmakers more than they were able to last year. Um. Last one. I, I know that we've talked about this uh, probably the last time we talked and you know, talked about Dan Snyder and the fact that he's selling the team. Now that we know definitively that it's going to be Josh Harris, you know, pending league approval, but the commissioner even said yesterday he expects that to happen. We're all expecting that this is, you know, a done deal. You've lived in that area. You, you've watched Josh Harris own the 76ers, own the New Jersey Devils. Do you have an opinion on him? Yeah, I mean, look, I'm I'm excited. Anything uh, other than Snyder is is you know makes me excited, you know, because I there's a just that Paul hanging over everything with the franchise, going to the games, and just the you know the dreadful atmosphere, you know, compared to what I was used to when they were good. It was just so stark that I just want that to come back, and I think a lot of people are going to be open minded to coming back and and trying to get behind this team again and, and make that an event to go to the games. So I'm, I'm excited no matter who it is. Josh Harris, I mean, you know, it's not, I don't know him. I just know that he did and has been a part of doing everything that he possibly could in Philadelphia with the Sixers to try to make them content. I mean, so it, he clearly wants to win. He, he's not a guy that's just in it. to, And he's, I don't think he's going to be somebody that needs to have his imprint all over everything the way Snyder did and, sitting in the room, you know, on draft night. So I don't think that he's that guy that, you know, got that kind of an ego about that. I think he's going to get the right people to make the decisions. And he's going to leave no stone unturned in trying to turn them back into a glorified franchise. That's, that's my hope. So I'm, I'm excited about it. Have, did you look at the schedule and pick the games out that you're going to come to already? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I'm pretty good to go. I think with all the home games, for the most part, yeah. I just conservatively going down the schedule. I came up with 12 and five, but one of those games I see as an <laughs> overtime loss, which clearly could turn into a win if they get a break. So 13 so and four is in five, play. 13 and four. Yeah, I think 13 and four would be the ceiling. I'd go probably 11 and six as the floor. If I'm just conservatively just spitballing, sensing some sarcasm, but you have been, <laughs> yeah, you've people been, out there thinking, oh, this guy is yeah. out of his mind. You've been, you've been uh, yeah. the diehard. I'm having some fun. I'm you, I, uh, yeah, uh, look, I know that, but you have been the diehard coming down and going to these games when you've had it. a whole section for you and your family members to sit in. It's really something when you when you when you go to a game and I got two I got two uh, seats on the on the aisle. I always like to sit on the aisle, stretch my legs out a little bit, get to the restroom and the beer as fast as I can. So I always have two seats on the aisle. And I there were there were games when you know I could have gotten up, walked the thirty seats or whatever it is in my row to the other aisle on the opposite end and not have to ask anybody to like can I scoot by? <laughs> I have had that happen. Yeah. So. It's not out of the question. I, look, I will say this, too. No matter what the situation, no matter what the score, no matter what the standings are, no matter how they're playing, when I get up on those mornings, on a Sunday morning, or if I'm going to go down on a Saturday night, the night before, whatever, there's an adrenaline that I still have every single time that it's football Sunday and I'm going to watch this team play that I love and I'm expecting us to win. Do you have an opinion? I think we've talked about this in the past, but you know, one of the... You know, 
discussions since it became, you know, somewhat official that the, the the actual purchase agreement had been signed by both the Snyders and Harris. You know, everybody's getting into this debate about what the the Harris priority list should be. Um, and you know, there is, you know, I had a poll, uh, a Twitter poll, you know, 4,500 votes, 56% said that the rebrand and, and the getting rid of the current name would be a high priority for them. 80% said it would be on the list of priorities. Where do you come in on the name and whether or not this new ownership group should look at it, changing it again? I'm, I'm kind of past the point of, of really caring about them changing it anymore. It is what it is. I don't love it. Uh, it's, it's Scott Van Pelt, our friend, has created that incredible image of me wearing that commander's uniform mm-hmm. that they put up a couple times a year, and I love that. Uh, I don't want to go. I just, I'm just, okay, whatever. I lived with the name change in the first place was tough for people that love the team as long as I have and, and you know, been invested in the team. To, to watch it just completely change and be rebranded, it's not an easy thing as a fan to to deal with and then become the Washington football team, which I couldn't believe what I heard when they announced that. Then it grew on me a little bit by like the second year. And then it's commanders, which I absolutely hated. And I refused to say it for a long time. Uh, I'm kind of past that now where I will say it. I still don't, I haven't bought any gear that says commanders. It, it only I only go with that W. I do like the new W logo. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's going to say W. It's not going. I don't. I don't like the word commanders on the gear that I buy. Um, so I haven't gone there yet. But I'm kind of at the point where, like, okay, man, if this is what it is, this is what it is. Let's just now move forward and try to create a winning product. That the name change because it's not like you're going to go back to what it used to be. No, you're not doing the glory that. days. It'd be it'd be some other bad name that they would come up with so then let's just you know of of the bad choices this is the best option all right great job uh i appreciate it as always um watched him with scott watched him on espn in general uh they've got the finals abc espn's got the finals he'll be doing a lot of the sports center stuff after those games uh and you know say hello to him uh, at the arizona game on september 10th. I think that's the date. Uh, he'll be there. Oh, that's it. Yeah, that's it. You got it right. I'll be there. Right. Thanks for doing Guaranteed. this. I, you know I enjoy it <laughs> and, and appreciate it. You got it. All right, Kevin. See you, man. Tim Legler, everybody. Uh, that's it for the day. Back tomorrow with Tommy.